Welcome to On The Line. I'm Jenny Robb, and uh, we are so thankful to again have um, on the show Frank Giampaolo, uh, featuring Frank during this series as we go through um, his book, The Psychology of Tennis Parenting. Um, so a little bit of an introduction uh, for Frank. Uh, Frank Giampaolo is an award-winning international coach, popular international speaker, and sports researcher. Frank founded the Tennis Parents Workshops in 1998, conducting workshops across the United States, Mexico, Israel, New Zealand, Australia, England, Canada, and Spain. Frank's commitment to coaching excellence helped develop over 100 national champions, hundreds of NCAA athletes, numerous NCAA All-Americans, and several professional athletes. His innovative approach has made him a worldwide leader in athletic parental education. <laughs> so again, thanks for being with us, Frank. Um, wow. What so a great we are, we are here to talk about chapter five. Yeah. Um, the uh, title of the chapter is Mindset Matters. Um, so this one is uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, mm -hmm. The quote you used to start is, every decision either pushes them closer to their goals or pulls them away from those goals. Um, so so let, let's do a little start to this chapter with, with the chapter name and, and your quote. Um, this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... I find that it's really important that with athletes that they're taught to control what they can control, right? So control the controllables and and we'll talk about it later, but it's not really the, the one little negative situation maybe, but it's some of the things they can control that are mm -hmm. kind of, that they're not quite aware of yet. So often with this book, even with parents, I like to, I like to kind of in a teasing way, kind of say that, it's everything you didn't even know you needed to know. That is and yep. They don't know yet that that's part of. So part of this concept is us as parents, we want to help our children with better choices and then habits because their choices and habits really are, that's what's going to get their better preparation, better training, and then obviously, you know, better results. Yes. So I love how we start out um, saying decisions, not situations. Um, mm. and you you go through this great story um, of, of this player and um, we talk about shift his focus to new software development. Um, and, and so the focus to, to the software development, again, gets us right into the mental and emotional aspect. Um, mm. And and so let's talk about shifting the focus to software development. <laughs> well, okay, good. Yeah. So the, you know, it's really the procedure that um, the athlete goes through when he does match reviews. So even um, last weekend here was our Southern California sectional. So it was a big event for the kids here. But uh, one of the gals that I was um, charting, she lost and she walks off the court. She goes, I can't stand it. I, I lost to a pusher. She said to push her. And so we, and then we're talking about now that's the situation, right? Mm -hmm. And so we had to sit down and we, we waited till the next day, but we, we talked about some of the decisions and some of the things that I was charting during her match. So the cause of the error chart was one of the charts we were doing. And, and most of her errors 
stem from reckless shot selection and you know, going for offense, which she should be on neutral or even on defense. Um, we also charted like for her, uh, the, 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 the core positioning chart, which is she winning more points inside, inside or behind the court? And, uh, you know, kids have trouble understanding, I think, and, and what's really going on, but she was winning like 68% inside, but like 30% behind, but she chose to stay back and push and play the pushers game. And that was a choice. So right. choices right. and habits. And so probably with her training, I, I assume with her hitting coaches, she's not doing a lot of moon ball approach to swing volleys and approach shots and drop volleys, which are things you might need to beat a good pusher. So anyway, so that's the solutions and the solutions really, it's kind of a reality check for a gal like this. So when she walks off the court, she can really think about reviewing her match with some of the decisions that she made really in her head instead of just, you know, I lost to a pusher or I lost to a cheater, that, that kind of thing. And what, what age was she? This uh, 13. 13. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's an important point too. Um, but yeah. that fits right into, into this, you know, in the book you say his outcome wants, so what you want the outcome to be, his outcome wants trumped his performance needs mm. as seen in his lack of routines and rituals. Um, so the idea of the the outcome wants trumped his performance needs. I, I just uh, I love I love the way you phrased that. Um, so did you see some of that in your player this weekend, or or I know you know you have <laughs> so many stories to yeah. pull from, but <laughs> we 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 do, and we did see it again this weekend. So yeah, you can you can almost identify it when the athletes playing and they're in their. Um, more of their just subconscious mind. They're not really overanalyzing and thinking about their mechanics. Mm -hmm. Kind of like an, an artist when maybe an artist when she's painting, the artist is not editing and judging and they're just flowing. They're more of a free flow. Like maybe if somebody's journaling, that's the same key, right? When they, you play great tennis and adults, you know, when you drive the car, you're not thinking about the mechanics. The right. Of driving the car you're not thinking about pressing the gas or turning the steering wheel it just becomes automatic and we want kids to be automatic when they play but That's when right. they're so worried about the outcome those outcome desires it sabotages their performance absolutely so, absolutely you know one of the uh fun things that that i've seen other coaches do and and sort of adopted into to what i do is um just during a warm-up when when you know you're just warming up and the kids are hitting um you know to to walk around and kind of speak to each kid and and it doesn't have to be anything profound it's like what what did you have for breakfast today or whatever to see if they can keep hitting or mm -hmm. if when they go oh uh I had cereal, whatever, and then they can't hit anymore. So it's like, yeah. can they, can you put in a distraction and how do they handle the distraction? And so that's, it's a it kind of just a fun way to, in, in my mind, go, okay, yeah. this person can carry on a, a conversation while they're hitting mm -hmm. and this person can't. And so it, that, that goes back to exposing a weakness, so to speak, or, 
exposing an area that needs more development. And so, you know, like you were saying, when you're driving or when you're walking or anything, these things just are happening. Um, and, and so it's that, that focus, the ability to, to have that focus. Um, and so you, you go on to say being solution oriented is the mindset that matters in competition. And so you already alluded to having solutions in, in your, your player's mind um, recently. Uh, so, so talk a little bit more about being solution oriented. Yeah, it's um, in between points. Obviously, that's when the, the thinking process begins, right? So that the athlete goes from the hitting process which is like maybe three, four seconds of hardware, right? Running and hitting. Right. They go from the hitting now to the thinking process in between points. And most kids have, uh, not most, but a lot of kids that we're working with have automatic negative thoughts. Mm. And so, boom, they miss it. They have you know the negative look on their face, the shoulders slump down. They start talking about, you know, why are they missing it? I can't believe I'm missing the shot, that type of thing. So instead of that, if they can turn their back to their opponent, walk slowly, and instead of thinking just about the problem, just plug in the solution. And that's something that we ask kids to do all the time. What's the solution? What would you have done differently? If you mm -hmm. can do it all over again, what would you choose? Or, how, or mm -hmm. how would you coach your friend if your coach made that mistake? Oh, I love that question. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's, that's the kind of dialogue and open communication that we want the kids to have instead of going right to that automatic negative place. And it's just a habit. I mean, some kids really, it's, it's kind of weird, but they get so used to being negative when they compete that within 15 seconds of competing, they're already in a really negative mindset because that's their identity. That's their tennis match identity. It's I get, you know, peed off when I play. <laughs> no, it's so it's true. Good, good. Yeah, so you've seen that, I'm sure that oh, we just have to, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a tough thing to change, but they have to be aware of it. You know, I love the word awareness and um, it's throughout this chapter. So we'll get back to the idea of self-awareness. Um, yeah. It, 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 which is just huge. Um, so your next um, point is substandard loyalties. And I had never thought of this that way. And so I love this part of the chapter. Just it explains things kind of that you already have floating around that you might know. Um, certainly as a coach, uh, we run across these things. But um, I love that you say it's our job as parents and coaches to remind our athletes that wise people listen more than they talk and evaluate before they act. Um, and so I, I, I love that. So, so talking about response time and the ages of, of the, the players. So like the, the young lady that you were working with and what her initial response was, and then you, to, to step away from it and then you come back and sort of plug in you know default settings that are that are better um yeah. but yeah. I just I love that uh you know <laughs> remind our athletes that wise people listen more than they talk and evaluate before they act um so so explain that a little bit more for us well especially when 
junior tennis players are talking to their parents around tournament time, both individuals are tense, right? Yeah. The, the, the parents take it, the matches to heart, right? That's that's big. We talked about that before. Yep. For a parent, and then they're not, not they're not really able to help. So that's that's painful as well. They have to sit and just watch their child suffer. So anyway, both both individuals are pretty tense and being able to slow down, pick some positive topics to talk about from the parent side, maybe that the idea is to remind the athlete of you know, the five things they do really, really well for every one negative thing they're trying to avoid, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, the weekend coach. That's part of the parent becoming right. the coach automatically. And right. that's, that's difficult too for a junior because they have a certain attitude and mindset from a coach and then, and then they get different attitudes and mindset and even different information from their parent during the tournament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit confusing for them. So parent, you, you need to know that. Uh, if you are the parental coach on the weekend, like if you're the one taking your kid to the tournament, it's wise to text the coach and ask, what are the performance goals? What, what did you guys work on this whole week? And what should I have, you know, our little Mikey focus on? Now, everybody's on the same page, but m- most of the time there's not transparency like that, Right. Exactly. The Mm -hmm. idea of everybody being on the same page and having that communication uh, between the parent and the coach as the parent is going out to be the weekend coach, um, I would commend the parent for reaching out and saying, you know, help me help my player, help me help my child. And so just the idea that a parent would reach out or you know, either way from the coach to parent or parent to coach um, is is really important. And, you know, you go on about a fixed mindset and growth mindset, which Mm. this is a topic, you know, we could talk about (laughs) all all day long, but um, it is so huge and it is so prevalent and, and, you know, doesn't matter if it's male, female, you know, level of experience, you know, the idea of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset um, is just of, it's magnanimous and, um, you Mm. know, beyond tennis, but also just in everyday life. Um, So, so let's go through this uh, fixed mindset versus growth mindset idea. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure most of you know, but I'm not sure if most athletes know it at their age, but People have certain mindsets, right? And a fixed mindset is the individual that believes that they're they're born with a certain amount of talent and you can't change it. You can't improve it. Right. It doesn't grow, doesn't develop. Mm-hmm. You have what you have and that's it. Mm-hmm. And the growth mindset individual, they see every day as an opportunity to grow and develop, right? And that. Yes their skill sets, whether it's their stroke tool belt or their athleticism, they can all be improved. Uh, it, it's true that some people are born uh, with, with better natural attributes, right? I mean, right. some are naturally fast and right. they have fast switch fibers and they can move quicker around the court and, or some mm-hmm. are taller, some are shorter, that's, that's all fine. But mm-hmm. uh, with the mindset, it's important that we 
we try to flip those fixed mindset individuals into and the growth mindset and and it can be it can really be changed um yes yes but it it, it takes a a lot of um work from the the parent and the coach too but definitely the parent because yeah time that they're they're spending with their child and and other you know outside of tennis influences um and I, i i think of a player there's been a quite a few but but one in particular who was born with um just a lot of of natural athletic ability and just seemed to have a feel or a grasp of the game even at 10 11 12 years old and because mm. at a young age he'd been praised so much and oh you know this is great and and you're so good and you know how did you do that and da 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 the the child the praise almost backfired because um, then the child is so used to hearing how great they are all the time and then if they're having a bad day on the court or they're missing they don't know how to react you know it usually is is depending on the personality profile you know it can get ugly um yeah. there's that fear it's like I've been told I'm good all this time and I didn't really have to work that hard and now I'm losing and I don't know what to do because I'm just yeah. supposed to be good. <laughs> so I, I know you've probably seen similar, um, but to go, you, you list some really good examples um, to help a, a, a parent and a coach um, it's sort of how to identify uh, what we're talking about with the a fixed versus a growth mindset. And you say untrustworthy mechanics, subpar fitness routines and that's just just a start um but you say athletes must believe that effort and persistence can improve athletic skills and intelligence and so that all goes back into that awareness um uh but yeah yeah tell us a little bit more about you know like the examples of of the untrustworthy mechanics or the subpar fitness routines um, and then the belief that effort and persistence can help them improve. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, there's a lot right there in that, in that topic. Um, but the idea that, uh, you know, we want them to seek uncomfortable situations because that's where growth occurs, right. but it's kind of, I mean, I don't know, comfort is like, multi-directional um and what i mean by that is sometimes as adults we want our lives to be comfortable we want to be we want to get to that point where just everything is comfortable want to be comfortable (laughs) but you don't want your junior tennis player to be comfortable because when you're comfortable you're not growing right right in that aspect right we want them to seek the uncomfortable which is you know untrustworthy strokes instead of avoiding them that's right you got to expose yourself to them and and fix them and you got to have this kind of growth mindset that okay avoidance is not the right idea exposure is so anything i think i stink at mm-hmm. i need avoidance not ex- not i mean i need the exposure to it not the avoidance and so right that goes into um you say to kind of wrap this part up that, that athletes with a growth mindset 
embrace change and the challenges ahead. They understand that there are many levels of the sport and as they improve, they enter a higher level of competition and new challenges will arise. I love that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's even back to like an earlier chapter where sometimes kids think they're gonna be really happy in tennis when they reach a certain level. You know, when they go from an eight U, UTR maybe to a 10, like that when I get there, I'm gonna be happy. Right. <laughs> but the issue is you get there and one day later now you're like, okay, I want to be a 12. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so then they don't want to be stagnant really. So we want we want all the kids and the parents to be happy in the present, be happy right now. Uh, keep growing. Because you know that really deep down, and I think kids know this too, but they're not really gonna beat better players unless they grow and develop their game first. Like, right. right, you gotta develop it. Like even with a college scholarship, you have to build the athlete first and then they'll come. That's they'll right. come to you, right? It's kind of like in sales where if you're thinking about even selling your children to the, uh, the college coaches. We wanna be in the buyer's market not the seller's market. We want your kids to just be able to sit back and have all these phone calls and text messages and Option. emails. <laughs> yeah, it's all coming to them. They're not chasing it. They're not making these videos and kind of begging coaches <laughs> for the leftover scraps of scholarship. So, <laughs> so true. That's part of our job, right? I mean, we have to... Definitely, definitely. And, and, and so I love this, this next part as well um, on why we choke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so important. Um, you say in the book, uh, the key to your athlete's next level of success lies in controlling the ego. Their ego plays a big part in what they choose to apply under pressure. That is a huge statement. <laughs> And important. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I think it's powerful because it's even the ego of the parents and the and the coaches too. Look, the coaches are very competitive too. And absolutely coach to coach, right? As coaches, we want our kids to beat the other good coaches, kids, right? right? So that's it's right. all competitive like that. But yeah, it, it does go back to mindset a little bit, but we want the kids to be able to put the ego on the shelf and just focus on the, the performance, you know, just the idea of, okay, I know I have to take care of this. And if I do this, I've done my job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so this could be just very simple performance goals. Like a coach, for example, we might say to the athlete, avoid the other girls forehand. Uh, don't serve to the forehand, serve to the backhand on second surge if you can. That's, a, that's one. Number two is when you get a short ball, move inside the court, you know, flatten out the ball when you attack, move in. But some kids just stay back and let the short ball come to them and they lose the opportunity. So that would be an right. example. Or maybe just sit high and heavy when you're behind the court. Go high and heavy deep down the middle. Don't try to burn it in the corners when you're on a defensive court position. So that's maybe three basic jobs that we're trying to get the kids to do the problem is though sometimes we're talking about the performance goals but the parents are talking about the outcome right before the match so yeah, yeah. we have this for example this is we're going to be fair for all the coaches out there that 
the coaches get the kids in the right performance mindset. Okay, if I just do these two or three things, I'm going to be happy with my performance. But on the drive to the tournament, the parents are saying things like, if you win, your U-chair is going to go up to a 9.9. And right. this girl's ranked really high. She's a 12. So be careful. Don't blow it. She's a pusher. And she's never going to miss. You got to be consistent and don't miss today. And Get Too much swirling cool. around. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Those are, all out, those are all outcome like wishes, you know, that you're going to get your scholarship if you win this match and the coaches are watching at this national and Oh, <laughs> well, that, that perfectly leads into the idea of playing to win versus playing not to lose. Um, mm. and, and that one, that one hit home personally with me because that I'm, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> you know, that? I, uh, I think a lot of people are, and it is based a little bit on your personality profile. Um, if you're if you're wired as a perceiver and a feeler, those are two of the profiles. Perceivers, their 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 mind remember is found in the future, so they're typically they're up, you know, five two, but their brain leaves. The brain is already thinking about where's the trophy going to go in my room, or what are my friends going to say. What are my parents going to say when I win? And mm -hmm. what's my ranking going to go to? All those outcome what ifs, right? That's So it's important that we do talk to the kids about not letting your brain leak go to the future. And it's part of the ego. Mm -hmm. We all want to win. It happens mostly when we have a lead. A lot of kids have issues. They're a little bit better when they're behind. They can mm -hmm. dial in and focus. But as soon as they get a lead, they, their intensity now drops. That's right. And they start playing careful you know yep i mean i can think of two uh distinct things that uh, matches in, in my memory that uh i lost because mm. i was playing not to lose and both of these matches um it, they both went to uh, a 10 point tiebreaker in lieu of the third set and you know, I was like, okay, I know that I can sit back and, and just not miss. I know I can stay and just groove and wait for them to miss. And I lost both of those. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, it's> painful. <laughs> and, and so this idea, it was intriguing to me. And um, I was uh, fast forward and I'm coaching, uh, uh, it was the Southern level event, something. And one of the players uh, that I was there with, she, she had an incredible mindset and it was something that we had talked about as far as going to tiebreakers and, and all. Um, so sure enough, she goes to the, the, you know, 10 point tiebreaker in lieu of the third set. And man, I was so proud of her. She was like ready to attack. So if she, if there was an opportunity in that tiebreaker, she went for it versus, oh, if I go for it and I miss, and I know mm -hmm. I can just stay back here and, and hit the ball back, but she really went after it. So she was playing to win and she did yeah. win, you know? And so, so just, just from my own error and then, you know, being able to coach a player and see her do it. I was, I was as excited as she was. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's impressive, isn't it? When they, <laughs> the athletes have, you have to have the guts to die a little. Mm -hmm. And so all I mean by that is, if you keep attacking, you are still going to miss some. You're going to blow some volleys. You're going to blow some overheads. 
you're going to miss some swing volleys. But overall, if you keep on attacking, you're still going to win the war. You might lose a couple battles, but you'll win the war. And if you stay back, sometimes if you stay back and you push, and even if you get lucky and win, if the other person is more unstable than you and they self-destruct and they, they choke more, even when you win that match, you're not that satisfied. And we want you to be satisfied with your performance. So That's play right. to win, you'll probably end up winning more matches. You still will lose some, but even if you lose, you'll be more satisfied. I am, um, I'll give you a story when I was at the Australian Open and mm-hmm. Serena lost and I was in the press room and she, and she said, well, well, yeah, well, well, didn't you see that? I'm happy. I kept on attacking. I, I didn't execute. I missed my shots, but I played my game and I was attacking. She was, I'm only mad at myself when I freeze and I choke and I, right. and I don't attack. Right. Uh, that's so that was, story. that was yep. a good example of it. It's a great one. Um, and, and the last part of this section, um, mm-hmm. I'd get so excited when I read this and it just really made me understand uh, all we've been talking about so far. It says fear of flying is actually fear of crashing. And Mm. I said, go back to when I made the error and I was playing it, (laughs) 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 not to win, but uh, (laughs) not playing to win, but playing not to lose. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's it's not. It, you said it so well just just a minute ago that it's it's you know the fear of crashing, crashing being what is mom going to say, what are my friends going to say, all all the that litany that, that we went through. But I just think that's it stuck out in my mind saying the fear of flying is actually the fear of crashing. Um, so so that I just I love yeah. That. <laughs> no thanks. I, well yeah, I think it's a good analogy, and uh, you know we all have. Um, these kind of, I guess, mental and emotional issues that we have to work through. So it's not just stroke mechanics. There, there, there might be, for example, times when we all do it, but choking versus panicking. So those are performance anxieties, right? That we've all done that. Just We've been talking about closing out a lead and playing to win when you have a lead. That's a performance anxiety issue. But Choking, when we start choking in matches, almost always it's because we're overthinking about contaminating thoughts. Right. right. We're in the match, maybe we're winning, you get a little bored, you start thinking about other things. Mm-hmm. And when you are when you start to think about other things instead of the two or three performance goals, kind of like your brain is shifted to another channel. Mm-hmm. So, you, you but the other... Yeah, go ahead. You you say when when explaining ego in this section, thinking ahead to future thoughts and drifting away from the current situation um, is an outcome state of mind. And so I just again, like you were saying, when when the mind starts to wander wherever it is in that player's uh, match, um, yeah, I mean it it takes you out of the now you know yeah. now, now your thinking is uh hijacked as you would say <laughs> yeah right and, and it is it is all based on the you know the chapter's topic on mindset right that we're we're just chatting even about it that to stay focused for a whole match it's averaged about 130 points in a match mm-hmm. and they usually play at least two matches a day in tournaments we're talking about in competition right 
you got to stay really on to- on topic for what 260 points is the average. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time to stay focused. That is a lot of time to 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 stay focused. Um, that, going back to uh, something we were discussing at the beginning, um, it, there's a I didn't dream this up. I mean, I, I think I heard it initially from Ann Pankhurst. We've talked about Ann before, um, and that there are four levels um, basically in in development, and so you have. Um, unconscious incompetence Mm. so like you don't even know what you don't know yes (laughs) and you know so that's kind of where everybody starts I guess and then the next one is conscious incompetence and so it's like now you know enough to know that that you're (laughs) messing up (laughs) you know enough to know that so you go from unconscious incompetence to now you're aware of your incompetence you know the the third level is conscious competence so it goes to what we're saying if you can you consciously focus and as long as you are focused you are competent you know then the the very last one is um unconscious competence and that's what we were talking about earlier about you, you know you get in your car and you just drive or I can chat with you while you're warming up and you're not you don't you know, totally fall off your rhythm. And and so that, that, that those yeah. four progressions, and I think most people kind of get stuck in the third one for a long time that, you know, as long as you are <laughs> consciously there, you are competent, you know? So, so I think that's where a lot of players, that's, that, that's the, that third tier there is where a lot of folks are. Um, so changing gears a little bit, I love this next section too, uh, the argumentative athlete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you say turning damaging arguments into healthy disagreements is an emotional strategy um, leading to a better response. And um, I think this also goes back to like you were just saying, when you're looking at a personality profile, you know, there are athletes that are going to respond this way. And, and, you know, there's a whole spectrum there. Um, but, but you go on to say nurture the ability to postpone and censor the responses to advice. And so it goes more to that self-awareness. Um, so, so tell us a little bit more about uh the argumentative athlete. <laughs> sometimes the uh, that type of athlete, sometimes it's nurtured. They see it. They see it every day with uh, parents. And remember, we talk about this sometimes that they, they model the parents' behavior. And so if parents are, if any either one of the parents are argumentative or an older sibling, they learn that. They're, they're paying attention. Um, a good example of modeling with rules and laws, it would be, um, I was driving just a couple of days ago from uh, LA back down to Orange County, California, right? So I'm on the 10 freeway leaving Santa Monica. It's bumper to bumper to get on the 405 South. And the line is pretty darn long, I got to admit. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but as we get closer and closer, this, this father, drives by in his Tesla SUV with two kids, teenagers, kind of hanging out the back window, cuts in front of everybody, Uh ditches to the other side and sneaks in. So what is he teaching his children? 
that, you know, rules and laws don't matter. And, right. and so, of course, that kid is going to be like that on the tennis court. So right. from the from the parent side, this is part of your communication skills. So we're talking right now about communication essentials and and what we're teaching our children. So, um, so you it, oh, go ahead. Yep. Well, no, I was just going to say, I think it's important too when we communicate with our kids and ask them to communicate. Sometimes they have like different ages almost, like they might be physically a 13 year old, but mentally and emotionally, maybe they're, they're much smarter. Right. Or maybe physicality, maybe they're only right. a 10 year old. Yeah, so you can communicate different with different kids and at different times. And you know, sometimes our teenagers, they act like a total adult. You're like, oh my God, this is perfect. It's so fun to hang out with this. And then an hour later, they're acting like a 10 year old. Right. <laughs> and you're like, what's going on? And I think that's how they develop. You know, have you uh, seen the movie um, Anger Management? It's Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson. No. It's not recent. But, it's, oh. it's probably back in the 90s, probably. But uh, it, so Adam Sandler's character is this really mild-mannered guy. And so there's this elaborate uh, ruse where you bring in uh, Jack's character and he's going to be the the one leading the class, the anger management class that Adam Sandler has to go to. And uh, it, anyway, it's, it's 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 so much. I kept being reminded of that, <laughs> that movie. Um, but going back to nurturing the ability to postpone and censor their responses to advice, leading to self awareness. And so, uh, this list that that you have uh, for parents um, is so great because that's another one of those statements that you go, wow, that that's very lofty. I'd love to do that. Um, how do I do that? <laughs> and, and so there's always a how and a why, right? Uh, so I'm just yeah. going to go through a couple of these quickly. Um, you say, here, here are some tricks to get them started. And you say, uh, digest the substance of the response. Um, recognize when emotions are running the show. Uh, take a break. Avoid criticizing before responding. Set the ego aside and choose your battles. Formulate mm -hmm. evidence before stating your case. Offer solutions versus pointing out flaws. <laughs> Disallow the blame game and confront the subverting of the conversation. So that's a great list. There's a whole lot. There's a lot. List. There's a lot there. Depends <laughs> um, with that in mind, I know that's a lot of topics, but being an active listener and teaching your children to be an active listener, which you really are digesting the words before you react, right? And that's mm -hmm. that automatic negative reaction kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, be aware of things like um, bulldozing or interrupting somebody during their their turn to speak because everybody should have a, a chance right to right give their opinion um it's it's a fun a fun thing to do from the parent side is audio tape your 
tennis sessions with your kids, if you're talking to your kids in the car, or if you're on the court helping them, which is awesome if you can do that. Right. But audio tape it and then listen to it later. And you can hear things like tone of voice, inflections, and, mm -hmm. you know, how often you maybe sound negative and how often parents say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And, you know, that's, that might be a, a fun solution. Cause that one of the things that when I used to, when I started coaching with Vic Braden at the tennis college, we had, you know, cassettes. Mm -hmm. And so we had little mini cassette recorders in the teaching baskets and we would have to oh. audio tape our lessons and then on the way home, we'd have to listen to them to see how how we were with, with communicating. And so anyway, that was a big eye opener for me. Yeah. And and just just the idea to do that and follow through with it. And I mean, that just shows, you know, mm. another level of of you as a human and you as a coach to go, how does how did that come out? You know, how did that and then you listen and and the the time to evaluate mm -hmm. yourself um you know everything happens so fast today it's like da, da, da. you know when do you schedule that time and we're about to get right into that part which I love but um it's just it's 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 a lot it's a lot um so the, next, the next section um this is a fun one uh practice being likable <laughs> you start by saying learning to control one's emotions and respect others is an essential social skill despite one's personality profile. Being polite and engaging with those around your athlete is emotional aptitude. So the idea of being likable, um, another movie yeah. reference, uh, have you uh, watched The Hunger Games? <laughs> A little bit of that one, yes. <laughs> um, Woody Harrelson's character, which he's supposed to be mentoring the, the uh, character Katniss Everdeen who's the you know main character <laughs> and you know she has her bow and arrow that's sort of her gig and um Woody Harrelson's character is like you know you have to make them like you <laughs> like that. it's a funny a funny uh just go go back and forth uh there in that movie but um anyway but yes this idea of of you say teaching them to be likable is within the parent's job description. And so I think that's really, that's just really interesting. And it gives it another level again, for the parent to learn their role. And this is a fun one, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's, it's meaningful in a lot of, a lot of ways, you know, the idea of thanking the referees or the tournament directors, that's, meaningful they remember that that they know you're a a well you know well-developed young athlete if you're doing these type of things uh, also it's networking really being nice to people in tournaments right it's all about finding maybe better hitting partners for better practice matches that's right that's right, right? so i mean going up to somebody and it's tough for introverts but going up to a stranger and say, man, you have a really good game. And right. where do you live? You want to try to do some practice sets. And that's networking because yep. you, you get better practice partners, you get better doubles partners, 
-hmm. you get better opportunities because you learn about maybe new clinics or new, uh, you know, even colleges that are looking for players. It all comes from networking Mm -hmm. and great networking comes from the idea of being, being nice. Right. Right. And, and, you know, a couple of things here on, on one hand, I was uh, reminded of, you know, you can, it takes years to, you know, develop a reputation and it can take one bad decision Mm -hmm. to to just, you know, destroy it. And so I try to, you know, when talking to young players and parents, definitely this is part of their role too. It's like, once you get labeled, you know, if you're labeled a cheater or or this or that or what, uh, you know, it's hard to shake that um, negative piece. And so part of the being likable and, and, and saying, thank you, you know, reaching out to people, like you said, the, the meet a stranger and see if you get a warm-up partner or doubles partner, or, you know, somebody that when you travel, y'all, your families can eat dinner together or, you know, whatever the case may be, but it goes into that notion of, you know, you are developing, you know, your tennis game, but you're also developing as a person and it's important. And and we've talked before about the importance of the player taking ownership. And so at the more appropriate age, uh, instead of the mom going and talking to the other mom and trying to set something up, which is great too, you know, parents to network. I mean, that is great too, but, you know, at some point the parent could, could sort of turn that over, even if behind the scenes, she's talking to the other mom, you know, and then she's going to go, but let's, I'm going to, you know, let my player reach out to your player. Let's, let's give them ownership of, hi, I'm from here. You know, what tournaments are you going to play? Maybe we could warm up together, you know? So, so I think it it involves ownership. um, Yeah. As well. What a great skill for for a junior when they when they go to college and step into that role and play with new players from all over the world and you know the That's teammates right. are going to be international and yep also it just really does give the give the athlete uh, more of a positive approach a positive attitude and when they're appreciative and they have you know gratitude they, they're less fearful less tense less nervous yep. and uh, it's just emotional aptitude, really, but they actually play freer because of this happy attitude, and they're spreading this attitude, and it's weird, but I think they're really, you are imprinting your memory into other people. They remember you, mm-hmm. um, if, if you're good or bad, like you're talking about. Right. <laughs> okay, this is how deep you're so right about this, because I can remember in 1982 when I was a little kid and I lost to this cheater pusher and his name was Laszlo Kibis. I'm going to call him out right now, 50 years later. And I still remember the match. I still remember him. And boy, if kids have that bad reputation, everybody remembers. So when they, you know, you see it, maybe a, I don't know, a, somebody's going to, be recruited for a job and you go oh i remember that kid he played tennis and right he was a leader back right then. right Let's, we shouldn't hire those him things, those things stick with you um yeah. 
And and going on, you say, um, laugh and develop those extrovert muscles. The seriousness of competition has enough anxiety, so bring a bit of happiness to the experience. And I I I love that, and I have this this great story that came to mind. I was uh, a few years ago. I was um, running a tournament desk at a at a separate site from the main site, and. Um, there was a mom and she'd been really nice the whole time because parents get labeled too, right? Like we're talking yeah. about, <laughs> you know, um, and th that particular day I had taken my dog uh, with me and uh, his name was Buddy and he's just a clown. He was so funny and he'd just lay there at the desk and I kind of had his leash like under the table leg or whatever, you know, and a bunch of the, the it was a female tournament, so juniors and so all the girls are, you know, wanting to pet the dog and all this. And so yeah. this this girl had gotten into her match Um and she'd been petting Buddy and playing with Buddy before she went on the court. And um, they split sets, so they're going to go to a tie break. Um, and the mom comes up to the desk and she says, would you mind if I walk Buddy over to my daughter and just let her pet the dog a little bit? And I was like, sure, of course. So I just gave her the leash. And so no coaching in between the, you know, before they're going to go into the third set. Uh, and so it was, and she ended up winning, but the really? mom, you know, and then, so they were saying, you know, buddy for the win. Cause, cause it got her, she was petting the dog and talking to the dog. And then she goes back out. And again, that, that happiness, you know, the, the yeah. stress, soothing stress, reducing anxiety, um, you know, it's like, she just pet, pet buddy a little bit. Uh -huh. <laughs> of course. Well, <laughs> I mean, you gotta have a good dog. That's like part of it. You, you can see behind me. Look. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's, that's my uh, golden retriever. And, uh, all oh, she does is sleep and eat. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I like that. I, uh, <laughs> I think the, the the last thing that might be important about this topic is what causes anxiety the most for juniors and maybe even for parents is the unknown. We're scared of the unknown. Right. So the more you can reduce that, the better. And if they can get to know other people, the more people they know at tournaments, the less stressful it's going to be because of the less unknown. They start to get that feeling of, oh, I have friends that play these tournaments. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, you know, and I just love that, that social part as well, because as we know, social interaction with, with kids is so important. And, yeah. you know, if, if they develop friendships, because you're, you know, just like on the pro tours, you know, once you kind of get into that circuit, you're going to run across some of the same players. Oh yeah. And, you know, and, and, it almost makes it a little bit more like a team event, even though it's yeah. not, <laughs> yeah. because you you can sort of call your team, you know, the other folks that that are around you that you've met, and that kind of becomes you know your allies, so to speak. I, I, I had a phone conversation last week uh, with a mom who was uh, very upset and rightly so because um, she 
her daughter and uh actually well I can't say that <laughs> and the both girls are in the same uh academy okay and it's a pretty big academy it's pretty good and um when this other individual from the academy was cheering for her opponent instead of her you know and they train together they're the ones in clinic together all the time they play doubles together a lot these two girls and then here it totally totally took her mind out of focus talk about hijacking so now her mind was totally hijacked about why is this girl that she trains with every day cheering for the other girl against me you know (laughs) and and uh you know so so those social cues you know show themselves in in so many ways um between on the court and then interactions with like you said strangers or the officials and the tournament director and other parents and you know so so it just sort of wraps it all up and back into um the title of the chapter which is mindset matters mindset <laughs> mindset, mindset matters yes. You know, and so, so I just, I, I, th- I think this was a, another really good one um, with so many good tips for, for the parents as they're navigating, um, helping their athletes with the right mindset. And like you yeah. say, it's not fixed. It can be, and it should evolve and develop and, you know, so. Yeah. Well, Frank, this was such a fun one. Um, any uh, parting thoughts before before we uh, wrap it up here? <laughs> well, you know, I just think that um, the idea that we want our kids to remember that the, every decision is going to either push them towards their goals of being whatever, a high school player or a college player, or the, the, the decisions and habits are going to push them away. Yep. And so they, we got to just be aware that these are the these are the skills, you know, having great, better choices and better decisions and then choosing to do the right thing. And uh, yeah. it's tough, but it's a, it's, tough. it's a fun journey. That's for sure. And uh, I love it when parents are not chasing points, but they're right. chasing peace, right? They want the day to be a great day. That's right. So, yeah. Well, Thank you again, Frank. I know your time is important. Right, no worries. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Love you. Um, so yeah, chapter five. We are we're marching right. right along here. Chapter six will be next time. So um, thanks everybody for listening out there. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you. Bye, Frank. <laughs> <laughs>